Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Adam Cronin, and today we're discussing the future of cybernetics. Cybernetics literally means the art of steering, from the Greek word kybernetis. And it's a transdisciplinary approach, much like systems theory or emergence theory or ecology, to understand how everything in our world happens. In other words, it's a way of understanding how the ship of reality is steered. And it occurs not only within the human world, but also within the plant and animal world and within the machine world. And nowadays, every company is essentially a cybernetic collective. And Elon Musk really talks about this, where he says, quote, we're all plugged in like nodes on the network, like leaves on a big tree. We're all feeding this network with our questions and answers. We're all collectively programming the AI. And Google, plus all the humans that connect to it, are one giant cybernetic collective. So I love thinking about this concept of a cybernetic collective. And really, any company or even your household, if you're in a marriage, if you're on any sort of team, you really are this cybernetic collective that's working together towards this goal. And it's such a big picture idea that I think it's really beneficial to take a step back from our own little node on the network and see how it all fits together on a systemic level. So where are we as a cybernetic collective heading? What is this massive collective working towards? And what can we do to better steer the ship of reality? That's what I'd like to discuss in today's episode. And I think a good place to start would be to give one example in the plant and animal world, an example in the human world, and an example in the machine world of cybernetics. And then we can focus on what's going to happen in the future. So let's first give an example in the plant and animal world. Now, if you've ever eaten figs, I came across this example and it's pretty interesting and also kind of disturbing. If you've ever eaten a fig or a fig newton, you've eaten a dead wasp because the life cycle of a fig is essentially a female wasp will come into a fig, which rather than being a fruit, it's actually an inverted flower. So the wasp comes to this inverted flower, squirms inside of it, and then lays its eggs through that process because the wasp has pollen on it. It's actually pollinating the fig at the same time as it's laying its eggs. And then the wasps are born within the fig and they mate with a female wasp within the fig. And then the males dig a tunnel so that the female wasps can escape. And the male wasps die within the fig without ever having left it in their entire life. Then the female, once it's mated and gathered some pollen, it will leave the fig and go to a new fig, lay its eggs there, and the life cycle starts all over again. So really wasps and figs are working together in this cybernetic collective so that they can produce more figs and more wasps. And, you know, the simplest version of this is photosynthesis, where a plant takes inputs from the sun, it turns that into energy, and it grows and produces carbon dioxide as its output. So you can think of a cybernetic collective as really this closed loop system that takes inputs, senses what the inputs are, and then adjusts accordingly towards some goal or some functionality. Let's talk about cybernetics in the human realm. There is a really famous and foundational book out there called Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. And in this book, he describes how our sense of self creates our reality. So very similar to how 
if you're an up-and-coming boxer, your coach is going to have you go against someone really easy early on, then someone a little bit better, a little bit better, and you have this stepped approach until finally you're ready for the big match against the big opponent that you really want to beat. And by that time, you're so used to achieving success because you've had all of these quick early wins that it becomes your natural course to have that winning mentality. And you're more likely to actually win the match. And all types of athletes are really familiar with this notion of visualizing what you want to achieve and visualizing the success and playing it over in your mind exactly how it's going to go and making that your routine and then actualizing those results when the time comes. If you anticipate that you're about to lose a game, you'll have your failure mode will automatically go into gear. So if you're about to lose a game of Monopoly, you might realize you're going to lose, and so you sort of check out, you stop paying attention, maybe you're scrolling on your phone, you're just doing the bare minimum. You're not really trying to win anymore because your failure mode has already been activated. Whereas if you take the example of the boxer or someone like Michael Phelps, you're always practicing with your success mode. So it becomes anathema to activate your failure mode and therefore you will succeed more and more throughout life. And this is really the cybernetic underpinnings of this book, which is that whatever you actualize and you practice in your own mind and essentially whatever you believe to be true about yourself will manifest itself in the real world. Now, I don't want to go too far with this because I think some new age beliefs get too into the notion of manifesting and they think that if you had some horrible illness, then you must have manifested that bad thing in your life. And I'm not saying that it has full reach and full implications to change your life. It definitely has its limitations, but you can't argue that there isn't some impact in what your visualization will have on the actual results of your life. And when you think about how our sense of self develops over time, you start off as a baby and you have no sense of self. You don't even really know you're a person and you're just sort of one with your environment where if there's happy things going on, you're laughing and giggling, but then someone drops a cup and it shatters and you start crying and there's really no separation between your sense of self and your sense of your environment. But as you grow up and you become a kid, then you learn to play a role within your household. You learn what your name is. You learn what type of person you're supposed to be based on your early behavior. And you learn not to totally copy some other kid and what his behavior may be. And they say, oh, don't act like little Johnny. You know, you're Mikey. You know, Act like Mikey. And so you learn to take on this role. And then as you go through adolescence, oftentimes people realize the role that they had in their childhood isn't the same role they want to play when they're older. So a lot of people reinvent themselves in college. They say, I don't want to be that same person that I was in, in high school. I want to redefine myself and play a new role. And oftentimes you'll find that that's much more fulfilling. Sometimes when people go into the business world, they take on a new role that they don't like because they feel like that's the role I have to play to succeed in this business world. But hopefully when you're an adult, you're able to create the real role for yourself that's truest to your identity and to your desires. And if you are even luckier, then you're able to transcend that eventually to realize there is no self. There's this Alan Watts lecture that gets at this concept of 
how to live the most effective cybernetic existence, which talks about how there are only verbs, there are no nouns. And when you think about this, so take the example of a flame. We call it a flame, like it's a noun, like it's a concrete thing that stays in the same state. But that's not what a flame is. A flame is the process by which fuel gets turned into heat and light. And the flame is always changing. If you, it's, it's not the same fire that's always there. It's this constant state of the fuel turning into gas and going up into the air. So really, it should be called a flaming. Same thing with a whirlpool. It's not like, oh, there's that one whirlpool and I'll see that same whirlpool if I come back on this path on my way back from the hike. It's a whirlpooling. There is water moving in a process to create this phenomena that we call a whirlpool, but it should be called a whirlpooling. Or if you take a rainbow, a rainbow is super fleeting. So it only exists when you have three elements, when you have sunshine, when you have a lot of moisture in the air, and you have a person perceiving how the sunlight refracts on that moisture. So a, a rainbow is really not a physical real world noun. It's a verb. It's something that's happening. It's like an emergent phenomena that is, that is happening. And you could say the same thing about everything. So rather than a cat being a cat, it's a catting. It's the process of all of the elements of the earth coming together into this animal that moves around in a certain way. And then once the animal is old enough or something happens to it, it dies, it returns to the earth. All of those elements are reconstructed in different things down the road, whether that's plants or rocks or other animals like cats or humans. And people are really the same thing. We're a peopling. We're not a noun because we came from dust and to dust we shall return. So if you start to think about the world as everything being verbs and nothing being nouns, then you're much closer to seeing the cybernetic reality where everything fits into this system. And a really good way of thinking about this is if you're on a bicycle, you can't keep your balance if you stop pedaling. The only way to keep your balance is to keep moving forward. So as a person and as part of this grand cybernetic collective that is planet Earth, we need to keep moving and keep playing our role or whatever role is truest to us in our nature in order for us to stay healthy, stay balanced, and be happy about our own existence. If you try to just stay in bed all day and watch Netflix and not do anything to contribute to the cybernetic collective, you will get depressed, you will get unhealthy, your muscles will atrophy. So it's really important to recognize that we are part of this grand process and we need to keep moving and keep contributing to the grand cybernetic collective. And at the same time, we shouldn't be too tied to the persona that we've taken on. And we need to realize that this is just, you know, just like in theater, how you play the role of Hamlet or of whomever. In that moment, you really play the role the best that you can. But then once the curtains call, you relax and you don't think too heavily about it. And you don't think about how Ophelia died. And you don't take that to be true because it was just the role that you're playing. And that's the same way it is with life. There really is only one self, which we all share the same self. Or there is no self, is another way of saying it. But that's the truth that so many people have found. And the more you look inward 
and search for the self within yourself, you'll realize that there's nothing to find there, that we are this organic process, this verb that's happening in the world. We are not some noun with a name attached to it, even though we do call ourselves by this name or that name. There's this concept in the Japanese tradition that I love called Reiju, which means being at peace with reality. And this is often used to describe someone who maybe they're a shopkeeper on the corner and they live their life peacefully every day. They sweep outside the shop, they stock the shelves, they deal with customers. And it's always done with this peaceful manner where they really are at peace with their day-to-day -day existence. And they're not constantly anxious. They're not always striving for more and dissatisfied with what they have. And it's really viewed as a positive thing. Let's talk about cybernetics in the machine world. The earliest example of cybernetics in the machine world is a water clock that dates back to ancient Egypt in 417 BC. And this water clock is essentially a way for telling time by having water either drain out or drain into this bucket with little notches that give you what time of day it is. So it's similar to an hourglass in that regard. In World War II, they had automatic machine guns mounted at strategic points so that if they sensed an enemy coming, they would fire at that enemy. They also had radar systems which would beep and notify. And nowadays we have cybernetic machines everywhere. It's hard to think of anything you do in your modern life that doesn't have some cybernetic machine element to it. And in the future, we could have far more hands-off cybernetic machines that require very little input from humans, if any at all. And, you know, one example that I've noticed in the marketing world is Google. So Google AdWords used to be this really manual process where you could kind of game the system by adding all the right headers to your website and bidding on just the right keywords and having really strategic bids for minimum cost per click, max cost per click. And it was much more difficult to succeed at Google, but if you knew how to game the system, you could do it extremely well. Nowadays, Google has what's called smart campaigns, where basically you just answer a survey where it asks you questions about your website, what's your goal, what are some related keywords, and then their system does everything else. They will find what the right keywords are based on your inputs and based on what people are searching, and it bridges the gap. So now anyone can launch a successful Google AdWords campaign if you have a product that people want. You no longer have to know all the nuts and bolts of marketing and SEO. Google does all that stuff for you. And when we think about what's going to happen in the future or what, what could happen in the future, that would be much more of a hands-off approach. You could imagine a system where you no longer have to worry about any of the logistics in your daily life. You only have to worry about what's most fulfilling to you and how you can contribute and how you can enjoy the time that we have here on Earth. Now, that's not a guarantee. And in fact, we are coming upon a very difficult transitionary period where we're moving from a world that was the where the cybernetic collective was driven directly by humans to a world where 
humans may be more along for the ride and the cybernetic collective is really driven by the machines that we've built or are going to build. With that, I think we should get into the future scenarios and explore the different directions that the cybernetic collective could go. Let's talk about the worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is that the nature of black box algorithms make it very difficult for the machine cybernetic collective to align with the human cybernetic collective. So most of our advanced machine learning algorithms now are black boxes, meaning we feed all of this data into it and then it has a certain output, but we have no way of knowing why they took the inputs and created outputs in that way. In other words, it's really a machine cybernetic collective that we don't have access to rather than it being a true human machine collaboration where we can both see the inputs and both help to create the outputs. So my worst case scenario is a future where the black box algorithms have become so advanced that they diverge from what humans would want society to be and we enter a society that is what machines believe society should be, even if it doesn't align with human desires. One example that's fairly extreme, but it's useful to think about, is the von Neumann replicator. So this is the idea that if you had a machine that could take fundamental particles and replicate itself, and then that new replicator would do the same thing, take more fundamental particles and replicate itself, then very quickly you could have this replicator that eats up all the matter on Earth, all the matter throughout the solar system, throughout the Milky Way, and maybe throughout the whole cosmos. And the last thing I'll say about the worst case scenario is we do not pass the great filter. So the great filter is this concept meant to describe why we aren't seeing any advanced civilizations with our telescopes. Now, Elon Musk actually just tweeted that today, we must pass the great filter. So in the worst case scenario, we don't pass the great filter. Now that great filter could be artificial superintelligence, where maybe their runaway AI is an issue that we're gonna have to grapple with fairly soon. It could be harnessing the power of the sun and nuclear fission and fusion and the potential for us blowing ourselves up. It could be something with bioweapons or something with viruses or bacteria. It could be our ability to advance and achieve a certain level of population and sophistication without destroying our planet and the environment of our planet. So there are many potential contenders for the Great Filter and we hope that the Great Filter is behind us, that maybe we've already passed that really rare event that, that would lead to civilizations like ourselves emerging in the cosmos. But it's quite possible we haven't reached the Great Filter yet, and we're going to have to face it soon. So however we can improve our cybernetic collective is crucial if we hope to pass the Great Filter. Let's talk about the best case scenario. Best case scenario. The best case scenario is that cybernetic systems continue to improve. We could therefore use that system to 
achieve utopia on Earth, but also to colonize Mars, colonize other planets. We could eventually transcend space-time altogether and unlock higher dimensions that we can't even conceive of yet. We could achieve some sort of incredible singularity between humans and machines where we are truly one giant cybernetic collective. Already, your body is a cybernetic collective, and at the same time, you are part of this greater cybernetic collective that includes machines, humans, animals, plants, all of Mother Earth. And so we want to do whatever is best for that grand cybernetic collective. And I feel fairly hopeful that we are on the right path. I also feel that there are some major challenges to overcome because like we'll discuss in the most likely scenario, we were all born during the climax of the movie. Most likely scenario. The most likely scenario in my mind is that we will encounter the great filter in our lifetime. And it's up to us to do what we can so that we pass the great filter. And this gets at the notion that I mentioned earlier, which is that we were all born at the climax of the movie. Now I'm going to share this chart that I'm about to describe on our YouTube channel in this video and also on our social media at Hence the Future. But I'll describe it right now for listeners. There's this really incredible chart that shows how the cybernetic collective of planet Earth has changed dramatically just in the past 100, 200 years. And so when you look at this chart, on the x-axis is time, and on the y-axis are all of these indicators of how advanced civilization is. So one is life expectancy, there's GDP per capita, there's the percent not living in extreme poverty, there's energy capture, there's war making capacity, there's the percent of people living in a democracy, and essentially this line is flat from negative one, from 1000 BC all the way to pretty much 1750 AD. And then at, right after the 1800s, 1900s, it is a straight line up. So we truly were all born in the climax of the movie. It's almost like you're reading this thriller novel and it's a hundred page novel and we were born on page 99. So when you look at these exponential graphs, it seems very clear that there is some massive change that we are that we are in store for. And the question is, how are we going to respond to that? Are we going to do what we can to improve the cybernetic collective? Are we going to check out of the collective and just say, I don't want to deal with it? Are we going to try to hurt other parts of the collective to make ourselves feel better because we're so focused on our own persona that we've taken on in our own little node position within the network? This is an open question my belief is that we will overcome the challenges. And I think it's quite likely that we are going to have to face the prospect of super intelligent AI and war on a scale we haven't had to deal with before and, and many other issues in our lifetime. But as long as we can get focused on the big picture, I feel confident that we will overcome and surpass the great filter. I think that's a good place to end it. Thank you guys so much for listening. This has been the future of cybernetics. And I'll see you next time. The past, the present, and the future.
you enjoy thinking about the future as much as we do, we invite you to join the HTF community. Simply go to hencethefuture.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage, and add your email address next to the button that says, Enter the Void. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at hencethefuture. And, most importantly, we encourage you to please rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so already. Our team reads and appreciates every single review. Thank you again for listening to today's episode and for staying curious, and we'll see you next week.